The reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. There we go. Reading a newspaper is a painful thing to do most any time. Um, this has been a, a painful week, especially October 7th. More than 1,200 Israelis killed in cold blood. A hundred or more, more than 100 hostages taken. And in response to this attack, a whole um, new level of devastation and misery in Gaza a humanitarian crisis where the most vulnerable suffer the most. We're in the early chapters of Genesis these days, and what we've seen so far is that the book of Genesis tells us the truth about what kind of world we live in. The kind of world where Adam and Eve rebel against their creator and the whole human race falls into sin and misery. The kind of world where Cain murders his brother and spills his blood on the ground, Genesis 4. We live in the kind of world where the grandson of Cain in Genesis 4, right after Cain and Abel passage, Cain has a grandson named Lamech, and he takes multiple wives and he's a violent man. He boasts about his violence. We live in the kind of world with arrogant violence. The kind of world where, as we heard last week in the sermon, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become, and that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination of the human heart only evil all the time. Now, that evil is often violence, what we see in Genesis, and in fact, what we see in our world today, around the world. We see that play out still today. Um, but there is something that's under violence, violent actions. There's something deeper and, and more widespread than, than physical violence itself. And that's what we're going to explore in this passage today. 
together, looking at the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. Let's jump right in. We pick up the story, and it it might be a short time after the flood, because in verse 1 tells us the whole world had one language and a common speech. A short time after Noah's generation. And so these people who speak the same language, they migrate to a place called Shinar. It would be part of ancient Mesopotamia, modern Iraq. And when they begin to settle there, they get an idea. They get a a building project idea. And the the tone of the language here is excited. Listen, it's energetic. Verse 3, come, which is like saying, come on, come on, let's, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. I like that. Bake them thoroughly. Let's, come on, let's build a city with a tower that reaches the heavens. And why? What's the motive? What's, what's driving this? There's a little Hebrew word that gives a clue. It's, it's the word lanu, which is translated for us or for ourselves. Verse 4. Come, let's build a city, lanu, for ourselves with a tower so that we might make a name, Lanu, for ourselves, a name for ourselves, a city for ourselves. So this is a a city for ourselves, which is to say for our identity, for our cohesion, for our safety, and a tower for ourselves so that we make a name for ourselves, our name, our reputation in the land. Now, ancient archaeology, this is very interesting, has found um, in the Near East structures that we would call a ziggurat, uh, which looks kind of like a pyramid, is basically an artificial mountain with terraces, and at the top of it is a temple made of bricks, the whole thing made of bricks. And at this point, I'd like to ask, what is the big deal? What's wrong? With this, what they want to build a city and a tower. What is so bad about that? We might ask and kind of push back on this passage. Now, the problem is here's the problem the problem is that what's happening here is human beings are trying to recreate the Garden of Eden on their own terms, by their own design, and for their own glory. God told human beings to spread out. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Spread out. He said that to Adam and Eve. He said that again to Noah after the flood. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill fill the earth. It's the same command. It's the same. Now what happens, though, is that the human beings, the descendants of Noah, they don't want to spread out. They want to go into one place together. They want to gather. They want to stay together in one place, like Eden, with one language, one people, together. They want to build a tower, verse 4. Verse 4 literally says, a tower whose head reaches up to the heavens. And and that that is where the name Babel, or Babel, comes from. Um, Babel means gateway of God or the gateway to God. A new Eden. The attempt at a new Eden. This is a a city that is raising its own name into the heavens, or trying to, 
trying to like deify their own tribe. And it's a problem for two reasons. First reason is that it's absurd. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the sense there is like, um, this great tower, the Lord has to like stoop down to, to, to see it. Like, oh, ah, there it is. I see it, yes. I see what they're, okay. He sees human beings united in this, in this glory project that they're, that, that they're trying to do. It's absurd. From God's perspective, it's absurd. The second problem is that it's dangerous, in fact, in, in, in a way that's not obvious, but it's there. This is a very dangerous undertaking. The reason is the basic sin of Adam and Eve was to abandon God's definition of good and evil and make their own definition of good and evil on their own terms. That's exactly what's happening again in Babel. In their view, what is good, what is good is for their homogenous culture to grow and to, and to, and to be exalted to the heavens and to have dominance and, and to have their, their safety and their identity as a, as a homogenous, powerful culture, which is basically religious tribalism, where we, our tribe, we have the gateway to God. It's inside our city, in our walls of our city. It's, it's ours. It's a dangerous worldview after the fall on planet Earth in ways that we see play out in our news. And how does God respond? We might ask. God intervenes. He will not let this carry on in this passage that we're looking at. God says in verse 6, if they're doing this, in effect, God says, if, if they do this, they will only carry on to do more and more of this. They'll only become more and more lost. Verse 7, come, let's go down and confuse their language so they won't understand each other. And it's not the voice of a rival. It's, it's the voice of a father, the voice of the true authority and power of the cosmos intervening in this misguided undertaking. Because, because human unity is not the ultimate good. It's not. not. Not if that unity is tribalism. Not if that unity comes at the, in, in the process of casting away their creator behind them and abandoning him, ignoring him. No, the ultimate, the ultimate good for human beings is that they find unity in their creator and they know him and they dwell with him and he with them. That is the ultimate good. It would be, it would be better for human beings to be scattered and divided than for them to harden in an ungodly unity and rebellion and tribalism. So that is what the Lord does. He scatters them. They're scattered from Babel in every direction. They leave behind the city and the tower unfinished. And there's a principle here. It's, 
It's all through scripture, and it's all through human history as well. The principle is this, that God will frustrate every human attempt at unity that is not based in him. We see that here, verse 8. The Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Futility and frustration. Now, what about in our own day as well? I'd want to ask here. We have a tower in our city. I had an unexpected tour of downtown this morning with its many towers and with an especially large tower that's in the midst of all these others. Uh, the CN Tower, yes? Okay. 1968, the Canadian National Railway got the idea to build a communications tower on their land, downtown Toronto, which, at the same, so it's a communications tower, right? At the same time, and maybe more to the point, was to showcase the strength of industry in this nation. Canadian industry, and, and especially the strength and the, and the history of the, of the CN Railway. A great tower, celebrating a great story. At one time, this, this country was very proud of its railway. 2,000 miles of steel running from coast to coast, right? And a nation tied together by steel rails. Um, Pierre Burton has, a, has a, a book called The Last Spike that was um, published some, some years ago. Um, the, the kind of language you read on the back cover of it, it's, it's an epic story. It's um, against the odds, heroic characters, and so on. Um, well, over time, more of this story has come to light, hasn't it? It's not just an epic story. Is that, how, is that how it's viewed today? Exploitation of Chinese labor. 700 Chinese men, 700, died building the Canada Pacific Railway. And indigenous communities forced to relocate to make way for the railway, and then forced to relocate further to make way for... European settlers who followed the railway. It's not an epic story. The mask is off. It's a tribal story. It is. This is how tribal stories go. The glamour is gone. We don't celebrate industry in this country. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's the same thing with any, any, any achievement. In 1995, the CN Tower was declared one of the seven wonders of the modern world. Today, I mean, it's there. I don't dislike it. Um, it's just there. We, we have some architects in our church, actually, and I, I, was, I was talking to one of you. What do you think of the CN Tower? And the answer was, it's of its time. <laughs> it's of its time. 1970s, sort of like a time capsule of that um, aesthetic, right? Every national achievement is like that. Every, every personal achievement is like that, I would add, as well. 
There may be glory, there may be triumph, there may be, you know, epic, this and that. But the glory, it stays in the past. It doesn't last. Now, here's the application. The application is this. Life and the world will tempt you to seek your own glory, to make a name for yourself. It will tempt you. You'll be, you'll be tempted to build your own tower or to join the tower building of others or the tower building of your nation or what have you. Now, I wonder, what does that look like for you? What, is that, what kind of shape does that temptation take in, in, in your life? Is it a personal temptation? Is it a, is it a temptation to, to join in the, in the glory project of others? And I, I would say to you, you have to live in the world. Yes, you do. But do not love what the world loves. Do not flee from that love. The world loves to seek its own glory in its little towers made of bricks, baked thoroughly. Based on the word of God, I would say to you this morning that that is a cheap glory, and it does not last. And from God's perspective, it looks absurd. It looks tribal. And what's more, if you let your heart follow that temptation, you you may find yourself drawn into a tribal mindset where your cause or your culture or or whatever group that you're part of that has like supreme importance and you see your tower as the, the the gate of heaven it has to succeed it must you bet your life on it and when it fails as it certainly will you'll be left with nothing and uh, overwhelming sense of futility. The New Testament says it this way. The creation was subjected to futility, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. All creation is subject to futility so that, so that, men and women, we do not rest our hope in our, the things that our hands build or, or, or anything in creation or our, our little towers, all creation is subject to futility so that we learn to rest our hope on God and his promise. And for a world broken with violence and tribalism, the hope is the promise Right after the fall into sin, God says that the descendant of the woman will crush the head of Satan and his lies. Even though the snake will strike his heel, he will crush the head of Satan. He will crush his head. And that is the hope. Not, not our cleverness as human beings. We, we can plan and technology and so on. It's not our cleverness. It's not our collective action. It's not our planning. This passage we're looking at is inviting you to to 
Turn your hope away from those little towers made of bricks and put your hope in Jesus. Because Jesus came, as promised, the offspring of the woman, and he gave himself his whole life long. He gave himself. He, he came to give everything. And at the last, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, the age of violence and tribalism. He came to deliver us, to give himself to deliver us and to lead us out and into freedom, deliverance. Deliverance is not complete. That's painfully obvious, isn't it? Deliverance is not complete. But deliverance has begun through Jesus. And we know that because on the day of Pentecost, described in the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had risen from the dead and his followers were all in one place, they gathered together, and suddenly the sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the home where they were in filled the house and they were the disciples are filled with the holy spirit and god opened the mouths of these disciples to speak in foreign languages that they'd never learned and the people of jerusalem heard them heard this commotion and gathered what is this what do we hear each of us here is speaking in our art our own language, Parthians, Merds, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, and, and Cyrene, and we hear them speaking the mighty acts of God. <laughs> it's marvelous. At Babel, at an instant, God divides the people. And on Pentecost, in an instant, he unites the diverse people. He unites them around what? Around the praises of Jesus Christ and the mighty works of God through him. In every language, it's marvelous. How are we for time? Yeah, we've got a bit more time. We, we started late today, right? Okay. Greatest sport in the world today, I think, if you, if, if you took a poll of planet Earth... The greatest sport in the world would be, would be what? It'd be soccer. Of course it would, right? No other sport has a bigger following globally, okay? It's not hockey. Um, anyway, a great sport with a global following. You know, you know what's so interesting? When all, like, I love the World Cup. When, um, when all these nations come together, what's so interesting is that different nations have, like, um, kind of different, they have, they have a different take on soccer. Yeah? I mean, one, one nation, and I, I don't know what I'm talking about totally here, okay? I'm, I'm not a huge sports fan, but one, one nation will be like an attacking power. Another nation, I, okay, I think I know this. I think I know, isn't like Italy like a strong defending nation, historically speaking? Uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, other uh, other nations will, you know, have have like um, a strong mid game, or or they have like a tactics focus, 
and, 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 and like, a, like a technical focus. Other nations will have like a strategic focus, kind of a grinded out um, strategy focus. Um, what I think you see is that it takes the whole world to explore this game from its every angle. It takes the whole world to appreciate the beautiful game, as it's called. And it takes the whole world to explore the beautiful Savior. <laughs> every nation. Every, there, are, there are Christian believers, brothers and sisters of ours, who are worshiping in every country on this planet. It takes every nation to see Jesus Christ in his manifold excellence and beauty and perfection. What we get to do here in a, in a diverse church, and that's a treasure, because what we get to do together before the day of revelation, <laughs> when, when all the, the tribes and languages are before the throne worshiping in their languages, um, in the anticipation of that day and looking to that day, we get to begin here in our community together to explore together the manifold excellence of Jesus Christ. We get to have conversations with each other as brothers and sisters, people of different worldview and of, of different cultural background. What do you find in Jesus that draws you? What is it about him? What do you find like compelling about him? What is it? That's a good conversation. Can we do that together, Grace West? Can we have those kinds of conversations together? Can we enjoy Jesus together? Can we, can we become more and more like diehard fans <laughs> who wear the colors, you know? Not in a jersey, but in our lives. Who wear the colors <laughs> and who love him and admire him and seek him, the desire of nations. Let's do that together. And if you're someone who's seeking who is exploring the Christian faith. We want to invite you into this. We want to invite you and join us as we look to him together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage which is showing us our, our human lostness on planet Earth. But we thank you for the, the setting of this passage in the rest of the Bible, which, which gives to us this brilliant um, hope in Jesus. As we look to him, he is the one that we put our hope in. And we pray that you help us to do so more and more. And that we may love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Amen. Amen.